Thanks for tuning in today. Please visit NemoursWellBeyond.org to catch all our episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also use the voicemail feature on the website to leave a message with your episode ideas or questions. You just might be featured on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, let's go. Well Beyond Medicine. Welcome to Well Beyond Medicine, the Nemours Children's Health Podcast. Each week, we'll explore anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. I'm your host, Carol Vassar, and now that you're here, let's go. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine. Look, this has been an age-old problem long before TikTok, long before artificial intelligence. Mis- and disinformation has crept into our households and our brains and our minds. Dr. Geeta Nayar is a rheumatologist, speaker, consultant, former chief medical officer for both AT&T and Salesforce, and now best-selling author. Her book, Dead Wrong, Diagnosing and Treating Healthcare's Misinformation Illness, tackles the age-old and increasingly more entrenched issue of medical misinformation and disinformation and its impacts on the healthcare system and patients like you and me. Medical misinformation and disinformation are serious issues on the radar of policymakers, public health officials, pediatricians, and parents alike. So serious is the problem that in 2021, with the COVID-19 pandemic raging and an undercurrent of medical misinformation working against public health efforts at vaccination, the Office of U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy issued an advisory on the dangers of health misinformation. Today, we live in a world where misinformation poses an imminent and insidious threat to our nation's health. Health misinformation is false inaccurate or misleading information about health, according to the best evidence at the time. And while it often appears innocuous on social media apps, on retail sites or search engines, the truth is that misinformation takes away our freedom to make informed decisions about our health and the health of our loved ones. We must confront misinformation as a nation. Every one of us has the power and the responsibility to make a difference in this fight. Lives are depending on it. Advisories and reports from the Surgeon General are reserved for the most urgent of public health issues. The landmark 1964 Surgeon General's report on smoking and health, for example, set the stage for reforms that reduced tobacco use over subsequent generations. The Surgeon General's office in 1986 issued a report on AIDS, which stated in plain but evidence-based language of the time what AIDS was, how it spread, and how it could be prevented. But if you lived through the earliest days of the AIDS epidemic, as I did, there was misinformation galore, and it was pervasive. By the time Dr. Nayar was a physician in training in the early 2000s, the myths, rumors, and misinformation regarding AIDS were alive and well in the community of AIDS patients as well as in the eyes and ears of the general public. We had the opportunity to speak with Dr. G, as she's known, at Health 2023 in Las Vegas last month to learn more about how deadly medical misinformation and disinformation can be. What was so inspiring for me to write this book was really living through COVID, which for me was really a flashback to the early 2000s when I was a doctor in training, an excited doctor in training 
who saw AIDS patients, not HIV patients, saw AIDS patients left and right. Every other patient I had died for a significant part of my training. And it was very humbling as a physician in training to see that everything I had been taught was really limiting, really couldn't do anything. It was pretty futile because people were so misinformed about how HIV was spread. And the book really starts off with that journey. And I talk about one of my first patients, Jerome, who just kept insisting and looking at me and said, I can't have AIDS. I'm not a homosexual. Doctor, you are wrong. And it was really from that era that I understood the power of myths and disinformation. People were convinced either from their church, from their politics, from their neighbors, that the only way you could get HIV was if you were homosexual. And if you weren't, well, there was nothing to worry about. And as we know now, and many moons later, it is, in fact, a sexually transmitted disease that equally affects all men and women, whether you have male partners, female partners, it doesn't matter. And so you want to protect yourself. And we've now come a long way with that illness, which has now become a chronic disease. But when I think about what we went through through COVID, it was very reminiscent of that time for me, but even worse as a respiratory illness that could really spread much faster and quicker. Talk about the repercussions of that time 40 years ago or, you know, 23 years ago when you were starting your training. The misinformation was still alive then and in many ways is still alive now with regard to HIV AIDS. What lessons did we learn that perhaps we didn't really employ during COVID-19? Well, that's really the, that's really the kicker because here we are in a post-pandemic era where we did some dramatic innovation. You want to talk about technological innovation? We made a new vaccine, an mRNA vaccine, in nine months. Do you know the hardest part of that? Well, you do know this, Carol. The hardest part of getting people to take the vaccine was the way we communicated it. It wasn't making the vaccine. We nailed that in nine months. We are in 2023, and many people are not taking advantage of that innovation today. Today, many people are not getting their COVID vaccine. Why is that? And so when you ask what we've learned, I think we haven't learned enough. And here we are sitting at HLTH where we have learned, my gosh, the power of technology, artificial intelligence, social media, CRM, EHRs. We have to start making myths and disinformation a priority because that is the undercurrent to consumer experience. That is the undercurrent to physician experience. That is the undercurrent which prevents people from getting mammograms, prevents people from making doctor's appointments, prevents people from saving their own life. And that's what we have to learn is that public health, healthcare, half of the battle is communication. And in the context of a physician shortage, the only way to scale that relationship and that message is through technology. Technology used for good, not for evil. When we talk about technology, many people will think social media and online communication and emails forwarded and forwarded and forwarded with misinformation. That's very different than it was in 1980, 2000 even. How much social media and other digital media, how did that contribute to the misinformation with regard to COVID-19, particularly vaccines? There's no doubt that it did. Look, we've left this up to the social media companies that profit off of engagement. And guess what? Bad news travels faster than good news. So the lesson learned is we can't leave it to the social media companies. We can't leave it to anyone. We have to leave it to healthcare. Healthcare has to lead. I talk about Cleveland Clinic in my book. Paul Matson headed up their entire marketing and communications plan, and he did it so well. He let the doctors be the doctors, and he gave them a microphone. 
and he made sure that they had a partnership with YouTube and they went to town on social media. And guess what? Not only did you get information, but you can make an appointment at a Cleveland Clinic doctor that you already knew before you walked in the door. He built brand loyalty. He built patient engagement. He used social media. He used analytics. He used all the tools that we're talking about, but he prioritized myths and disinformation in the context of driving the patient engagement strategy and brand loyalty strategy for the Cleveland Clinic. In the absence of that, misfits come to town. In the absence of that, patients listen to their neighbor. They listen to Dr. quote unquote John Doe selling a $1,000 supplement, right? And so that's the opportunity we have in healthcare is how do we own the narrative, not be the victim of the narrative meeting our patients in the emergency room after they've drank chlorine? Tell me about, I, I want to pull on one thread that you mentioned, and that has to do with um, healthcare leading the way. We can't really do it alone, though, can we? We really need the partnership of the social media companies, of the government, to make sure that information is out there that is correct. We need the partnerships, but actually we have to start in our own house, right? Nemours is doing this really well. You need to have the chief marketing officer working with the chief medical officer working with the chief information officer. You need to have the different spheres within your organization say, hey, what is our strategy here? How is mis- and disinformation something our hospital is owning and propagating the facts so that patients trust us and come in and see us and we're accountable for the information we're putting out? And so it has to be a cross-siloed priority across the organization. And it has to start within the healthcare provider, within the pharma life sciences company, within the payer environment. And then, of course, if there is a way to partner the way Paul Matson did with YouTube Health, with uh, Meta, with WhatsApp, there are endless opportunities for partnerships. But I think healthcare first has to lead, learn from, from organizations like the Cleveland Clinic, and then pay it forward outside of the organization with external partnerships. I'm a consumer. Tell me how I can tell if the information I'm consuming is good for me, is going to benefit my health. Well, that's a great question. And we should start that question with your own personal physician. So when patients ask me that, I'm a rheumatologist, I say, hey, listen, I do want you to read. I do want you to be smart. I do want you to come in with your questions. But here's the thing. I want you to start with the Lupus Foundation. I want you to start with the American College of Rheumatology. I want you to go to these trusted resources that I trust and that I also know are specific to your disease specific to patients like yourself. And I want you to read and I want you to go and I want you to find chat rooms. I want you to find support groups, but within these trusted entities, number one, number two, follow me. I'm your rheumatologist. Be able to follow your own doctor. Provider organizations need to provide that, right? They need to find a place where their doctors can show their content. They don't have to provide the content. The organization should do that, right? You're not, we're not asking our doctors to be social media experts. We're just asking them to be experts. Let the marketing team do what the marketing team does best. Number three, if you're not sure of a piece of information, it's not coming from those sources, don't pass it on. Don't take it as gospel, right? Question it and come in. Next time I see you, come in and ask me, hey, I read this thing or I saw this thing or my neighbor sent me this thing. Dr. G, is that right? Does that look right to you? Is that something I should do? These are some really simple steps that every consumer should know. But the most important thing is actually having a relationship with the physician. So as information changes and evolves in medicine, just like it did during COVID, you can ask specific questions, not just general questions, but for me, for you, Carol, for what you know about me, do you recommend this stock? And that's really the, the last mile of mis- and disinformation. You know, vitamin D is great for most women, not all women. 
right? There are exceptions. And so that's where you really need that personalized care and that understanding that the human body is different for everyone. And that's why that relationship with your doctor is really important. And you can do that through a lot of EHRs. You can ask those questions directly of your provider. Absolutely. You can schedule a virtual visit, right? You guys are doing this well as well. So even if you don't have time, look, half of medicine is done right is counseling and education. So setting up time just for counseling and education and to ask questions is absolutely welcome. And it's much easier in today's world of tech. Let's talk about what information disinformation does to a person's health. How does it affect me? And how does it affect my community? Well, it's the title of the book, Carol. You can be dead wrong. We saw it firsthand with the COVID-19 pandemic. Everyone that refused to wear a mask, everyone that refused to get vaccinated, they hurt not only themselves, but their families, their friends, and in irreparable ways. Children lost parents. Parents lost children. And those scars can't be removed. So it's life-changing and life-altering in many ways. The stakes are high in medicine. The stakes are high in healthcare. That's the difference. We can't reverse these things. Let's talk about AI in healthcare. I'm going to change the subject completely away from information, disinformation. AI in healthcare in general right now, what's, what potential does it have? Why is it important um, to understand the downstream effects of AI? AI is incredibly exciting. When I think about what AI could do to make prior authorization easier, what it could do to make clinical documentation easier, what it could do to help us with clinical decision support. It is fascinating and and just truly awe-inspiring. What AI can't do is replace the human factor. AI cannot replace the doctor. It cannot replace the nurse. And if we lead with that, which I hear many organizations talking about, we have missed the mark. Very similar to the EHR revolution, we need to understand the problems of today and ask ourselves, what are the problems of today? The problems of today are that doctors and nurses are overburdened. They are buried in paperwork. It is difficult to be an empathetic clinician when you are yourself burnt out and tired and feel that the technology that you're being forced to use is not helpful. We can't make the same mistake with AI. We need to focus on the areas where we can unburden our clinical staff, scale the doctor-patient relationship, and really bring the humanity back to medicine. That is the most important thing for us to learn and to have the humility that we're still learning about AI. We don't have it all sorted. So going slowly, methodically, ethical uses in mind, and an eye towards downstream effects. Maybe we solve one problem, but we created three new ones, just like we did with the EHR. We have to learn from the EHR revolution and not make those same mistakes this time around. When it comes to AI, what misinformation are we hearing about out there? Well, look, I think the biggest thing on the, on the clinical side is we hear about hallucinations. We hear about the fact that artificial intelligence might be incredibly smart and action up information that is actually clinically inaccurate. And it's difficult for the end user to know that, right? You query a search, you use AI, you trust it. And should AI action up a medication that's wrong, action up a treatment plan that's wrong? Again, it could be dead wrong. So it's very important that we're mindful of that. And, you know, I... I give a lot of analogies to self-driving cars. You know, I I would not put my daughter in a self-driving car, not at this moment. Now, if it was a AI-enabled vehicle that also had a person in the passenger seat, that sounds pretty safe to me, right? The same goes for the clinical side. Using AI as a tool, but still with human oversight, I think is really where we're at for now. I I think all of this is going to evolve. We're going to get smarter, uh, faster, but it's very early and we have to keep an eye towards the downstream effects that we're not even mindful of yet. When it comes to information, misinformation, disinformation, are certain 
communities affected more by that? A hundred percent. I mean, we know that it's the underserved communities. We know it's the black and brown communities for a variety of reasons. One, they don't have access to a physician. Number two, they don't trust the healthcare establishment. You don't have to look too far. We, we cover this in the book as well. Tuskegee, Henrietta Lacks. There are really good reasons why the black and brown communities do not trust the healthcare establishment. But you know what? They trust their neighbor. They trust a midwife. They trust a pharmacist. So it's great that there are allied health professionals that a lot of these communities rely on, but often it's not enough. It's not enough, and you can find yourself in a rabbit hole long before you've even realized it. What else can we do? Well, I think, look, we have to remember this has become a politicized issue. And so to the extent we're mindful of that with presidential elections coming up, science should be apolitical. It should not be a right or left issue. Science is science. And lives are lives. And so to the extent we weigh into that and, and understand that when we cast our vote is critical. And I also think it's important that we, we weigh into policies. We weigh into policies that regulate the industry in a way that keeps us all safe. Because right now we are really leaving it to the companies that profit off of misinformation. There is really no oversight at this time. And when you look at the different, even in the medical establishment where people have lost their licenses for propagating myths and disinformation, we need to start setting standards. I mean, the Surgeon General, for the very first time, labeled a misinformation warning during COVID-19. That has never happened in history. So this is escalating, and we have to now open our, our eyes and our minds to the policy, regulatory side, to policing ourselves as professionals, as an organizations, and, and bake this into how we operate, because everything we touch has a communication angle in tech. Is this problem surmountable? Can we overcome this? Look, I'm forever an optimist. I absolutely think we can because I've seen the power of it. I mean, we've frankly seen the power of it. But, you know, I I talk about the evil empire in the book. It, It could be for the good empire. Why not? We've just, like I said, been so focused on the science. We developed this world class innovation, this mRNA vaccine. We can, we can come this last mile. We can come the last mile of, of communicating and building trust. I absolutely think we can use the same technologies to amplify trust and, and humanity. How did you end up becoming a rheumatologist? How did you end up going into medicine? You know, I come from a family of physicians. Both mom and dad are immigrant docs from India. And my mom actually had a very, has a very rare autoimmune disease that she was misdiagnosed with most of her life until I became a rheumatologist. And a big part of why there was a disconnect in her diagnosis was her records and her information in different places and the cardiologist not talking to the pulmonologist, not talking to the endocrinologist, et cetera. And that's actually how I ended up in tech because I put it all together, but you could only put it all together if it was your mom and you're a rheumatologist yourself, which obviously can't be every patient family's situation. So that actually is what inspired me to go into tech and say, hey, tech could scale this tech could solve so many of the problems we have in day-to-day medicine. And and so that's been a big part of uh, my inspiration as I go forward. It's been eye-opening for me here at Health to see that relationship between tech, mainly in the private industry, and healthcare, mainly in the public, not-for-profit world. Talk about that relationship and how important it is moving forward. Look, I I think partnerships are the key. You talked about it earlier. None of us can do this alone. And I do think COVID showed us that, right? We saw private enterprises, nonprofit, working with the government. No one enterprise can do this alone. And so much of our incentives are tied together. And so many of us really want to see healthcare change 
and see the patient put at the middle because this is personal. Every one of us, you know, I always say to our product teams uh, wherever I've worked that we're not building garage door openers here, right? We're building products that touch people's lives or change their lives or change their health. So we, we take it seriously. We take it with humility. And, um, you know, the, the rising tide raises all boats. So I, I think that that is absolutely something that is that is critical and important. Are we on the road to personalized medicine through tech? I think we're getting there. You know, I, I think, again, I don't think the problem is tech. We have so much technology. We have so many tools. It's how we use the tools, right? It's what are we building? Are we all building a dinosaur? Are we building a birdhouse? Are we building a slide? I'm an 11-year-old, you can tell. And we like Legos. <laughs> um, but it's it's aligning on what is it that we're building, And what are the problems we're solving? And which ones are we going to do first, second, third? And how are we going to pivot and be agile as things change? So I don't think, you know, technology is not the problem. It's the people part. It's, It's how we implement it, how we use it, and how we're mindful of how it touches and affects people. That's really the key to its success or its failure. What kind of a healthcare system do you want to leave for your daughter? Oh, my goodness. I hope that she is in a healthcare system that is affordable, accessible, transparent and really available to everyone. And I hope she feels just as inspired by science and medicine and the possibility of understanding what the human body and humanity is capable of. That's really my dream for her. Anything I haven't no asked pressure. you. No, no pressure. pressure. Sonia, no pressure. <laughs> Anything I haven't asked you that, uh, that you'd like to share. This has been enlightening. I love it. You know, I what I would like to share is that I think so many of us think of mis- and disinformation as not a priority. There's no hospital system out there right now that I know of that has mis- and disinformation as a strategy, as a strategic priority. But we do have health systems, life science companies, and payers out there that have value-based care as a priority, that have patient engagement as a priority, that have a decreasing administrative burden as a priority. And what I would say is mis- and disinformation is the undercurrent behind all of them. So actually, it is a priority, but you have to call it out. It's this invisible invisible smoke in the room that no one is really calling out. It is the elephant in the room that is underlying all of these things. Because if you communicate well, you're leading prevention. You're leading people to get mammograms. You're leading people to get their annual visits. You're leading people to get colonoscopies, not colon cancer. And so how do you do that and also ensure that marketing and clinical are joined? We, and too often in healthcare, we think of marketing as cute a nice to have. The place where you advertise on 6th and 7th, we have virtual visits and 24 by 7 pharmacy support. We don't think of marketing as a clinical asset. We don't think of marketing as patient education. We only did that during COVID. So in many ways, I wish we could keep the same mindset that we had during COVID, which is how do we work together? How do we solve this? This is a crisis. Every day in healthcare is a crisis. If you need a reminder of that, just go down to your emergency room. Thank you so much, Dr. G, for being here. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. Dr. Geetha Nayar is a rheumatologist and author. Her book is called Dead Wrong, Diagnosing and Treating Healthcare's Misinformation Illness. Well beyond medicine. We'll continue the conversation on the impacts of information and misinformation on medical decision-making next week when we talk with Dr. Garth Graham. Dr. Graham is Director and Global Head of Health and Public Health Partnerships at YouTube. Here's a preview truth is people consume information that they're not reading. They may, it may be video, it may be even conversational. And so the, uh, the concepts of understanding health information goes beyond health literacy at a reading level and genuine health literacy in terms of all the different factors that drive information exchange of health information. And so all of this is why information has 
always and continues to be an important component in health outcomes. Dr. Garth Graham, next time on the Nemours Children's Health Well Beyond Medicine podcast. Give us your take on medical misinformation and how it can be prevented. Leave us a voicemail at NemoursWellBeyond.org. You may hear your ideas shared on an upcoming podcast episode. WellBeyondMedicine.org is also where you'll find all of our podcast episodes. When you visit, please be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks to our production team for this episode, Cheryl Munn, Che Parker, Susan Masucci, and our on-site engineer, Adonis Vera from Clarity Productions. I'm Carol Vassar. Until next time, remember, we can change children's health for good. Well beyond medicine. Let's go!